Hey, good morning. How you doing? Yes, it is Sunday, the original fun day. And I'm so grateful that you came and decided to kick yours off with us. My name is Tom and you are looking at a shirt that you have never seen before. And well, um, I, we were out shopping for wedding dresses last weekend and well, I tried on a lot of them, but I found this on clearance. Do you know what that means? That means a lot of people decided they didn't want it before me. Now, I'm not just saying that because it, it, it has something to do with what we're talking about today. But before we get into that, have you noticed with all the snow melting, like there are patches of grass where you can see yes. it's getting green. This is so exciting. There's new life, right? And there's new life in people. And people have come to Jesus Christ here and, and we are so grateful. We are so glad. If you have, if that's you, right? You have given your heart to him. You've received him as your Lord and Savior. You have not entered the waters of baptism as a believer, right? Because I was baptized as an infant and that was beautiful, but that was a decision that my parents made for me in hopes that I would follow in the faith. And, and now, um, if you're a believer and you want to do that, um, we got tons of people who are going to be baptized this Easter and we want you to be part of it. So uh, if that's you and you just want to talk to me about the possibility, just put your name here. Also behind it, uh, there's some uh, baptism FAQs, frequently asked questions. Um, if you want to take a copy of that, feel free. But if you have never been to a baptism here at Bethany, let me just tell you, you owe it to, you owe it to yourself. So let's... Uh, Pass that around. Just make sure it jumps the cavern between sections so everybody can get a look at it. Um, anyway, so, so glad you're here. We're going to have some fun this morning. Um, we're looking at something in our Meant to Be series. And I love the series that we're in because um, we get to talk about what really matters. We get to ask some deep questions. And the best part is we get to trade the jacked up way that our life usually is for the way that it was meant to be. And that's a trade that all of us should be interested in. And today we are talking about something that personally I find very fascinating. And I think you will too. It's the way that we look at everything. And how that changes everything for us. So we're going to start this way. We'll bring the lights down and your eyes up. And I want you to take a look at some things and see what you see. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see a man looking straight at you? Or do you see him in profile looking to the right? Do you see the, the, the one that you didn't see first? Okay, next. What do you see? Do you see a sketchy bald dude with a crazy ZZ top beard and mustache? Or do you see a shorter blonde woman standing in front of him and he's apparently trying to pick her pockets? That is a little sketchy. Do you see both? Do you see both? Okay, let's try another one. Do you see a skull or do you see graduates celebrating? Do you see both? All right, here's one. Here's one. This one's tough. Here is a brick wall. Do you see a gray stone in the middle of one of the gaps? Or do you see that stone is actually the ash on a cigar that is stuck in the wall perpendicular? Do you see that? Did you see that at first? Here, do you see it? Okay, the cigar's to the right. Yeah, there you go. Here's one, try this. Do you see an eyeball? 
It's not. It's water circling a drain full of suds. Do you see both? Good. Good. What do you see now? Do you see a heartbreakingly bad baseball team? Or, or, well, no, that's the only way you can see it. So I'm sorry. Bring it back. Focus, focus. Okay. Rocky's down, lights up. Good. But the other, the other pictures, right? You can go through life just seeing them one way. But if somebody comes alongside you and helps you to see that which is hiding in plain sight, isn't that something? Then you can't unsee it. Every time you see it, you'll see it. And not only that, you can help other people see what seems to be hiding in plain sight. And that's a lot of fun if we're talking about just seeing pictures. But it's so important when we're talking about how we see everything, how we see life, how we see love, how we see relationships, how we see purpose and meaning. That's called your worldview. And that's what we're talking about today, your worldview. Now, your worldview is so, so important. A worldview simply is the lens through which you see everything. And your worldview determines how you respond, how you react, how you absorb, how you interpret, how we relate, how we believe, how we don't. Your worldview determines how much love and peace and joy and life you experience. And more important than that, your worldview determines that as you go through life, are you experiencing more and more and more of God and his love and his goodness or less and less and less? That is why it's so important that we explore this. Here's the thing. While every one of us has a worldview and uses our worldview every moment of every day, very few of us take the time to think about what our worldview is and why we hold it. But Jesus talks about our worldview in so many different ways, so many different times, and he would say to us, and we're going to look at some of his words this morning, he would say that if you get the right worldview, a a me-centered, a Jesus-centered worldview, it will change your world. And if you get the wrong kind of worldview, it'll send your life into a tailspin. And he doesn't want that for any of us because here is what is true. Changing your worldview changes your world. So it's important that we think, we take a time this morning to think about what our worldview is, what it could be, and and what we can do about it. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at some of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, please open them there. Luke chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, but you'd like to blend, uh, look under one of the seats in front of you for a brown or burgundy hardback. You want to be on page 987. So people think you're like a Bible scholar. You just flip right there. Page 987. If you do not own a Bible, guess what? You do now. That's our gift to you to keep. Take that with you. It is an incredible book, especially if you read it. Okay, so here we go. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. Here it is. In that same hour, he. Now, who he? Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. You're in church. Guess Jesus. You're going to get an A. There you go. Jesus, God the Son, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's the second, that's a 
another person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's God, the Father. You see the whole Holy Trinity attending this party. I thank you, God, Lord, God of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things in plain sight from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, who are the little children? Now, little children, certainly. But he's talking about adults, right? His, his boys and the people they talk to, right? They're his peers. How can he be referring to them as... Well, he's also God. He created them. He thought them up before they existed. So, so you're his little child, right? I'm his little child. I'm 51 years old. I'm his boy. Yeah? So that's great. You have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, why is Jesus lottery winning happy about this? It's because he had just sent 72 of his closest friends out on a road trip to tell people about him and his kingdom. And many tons of people believed they received him as their Lord and Savior. They believed they received Life eternal, never-ending, ever-increasing love, ever-increasing joy. They were welcomed into the family of God and they got to say goodbye and, and be set free from the lives of purposelessness and wandering that they had been living. That's why he's celebrating. That's why he's so excited. And he loves the way his father works to draw people to himself. And Jesus teaches us, Three things in this passage. Very quickly. Number one, God wants people to see themselves, life, the world, and him correctly. And to know how much he loves them. That's a Jesus-centered worldview. And if you have this, you're going to see and experience and hear things through the eyes and the mind of God. And that is beautiful and wonderful and joy-filled and wise. Number two, a lot, a lot of the smartest, most accomplished, and successful people then and now will completely miss it and choose a different worldview. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wise, and there's nothing wrong with being smart, but we're going to see the traps that that can get get us into. Number three, a lot of the simplest, most humble people will completely see it and have a Jesus-centered worldview. And then Jesus goes on, he says something pretty stunning. Take a look at this. Verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is. No one knows who I am except the Father. Or who the Father is except me, the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Did you get that? Wow. That has huge importance for us. Number one. You and I can't even know the first thing about God, who, the, who God the Father is, much less have a relationship with him without Jesus providing the introduction. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. But everybody who comes to me gets to the Father. Everybody, no matter their rap sheet, no matter their past. That's wonderful. But we got to remember he's the conduit. Number two, Jesus, God the Son, chooses whom he will introduce to God the Father. 
And number three, if Jesus chooses you, you can have a Jesus-centered worldview, have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and enter into the never-ending group hug of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is awesomeness beyond description. If you don't know what this is, you can. You can. And you say, well, that's just, that's just weird. That God would choose some people, not choose other people. What? What is that all about? It's about my shirt, right? Isn't it? I mean, God rejoices in choosing the least likely people to be recipients of his love and his grace. And that is great news for you and me if you have ever felt left out or less than. Jesus chooses you, although the world may have marked you down and put you on the clearance rack. He chooses you. So how do I know if Jesus is going to choose me? That's a good question. That's a good question. Let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the evidence. You are here in a church on a wonderful Sunday morning at the tail end of spring break when you had a thousand other choices, right? But you're here on a morning where the gospel invitation is being preached to you, presented to you. Circumstantial evidence would indicate that God is most likely choosing you to enter into that relationship. Just saying, okay? Now, he wants you to have this worldview. You can have it. You can have it. Jesus continues. We're just going to do one more, one more segment, and then we'll move on. Verse 23, then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings, that's like the top drawer people that he says are missing, desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. The most important people in the world, the most influential people in the world would give their right arm to see what you see and hear what you hear. What are they seeing and hearing that is so important? Jesus, they get to see and hear him. Jesus, God with skin on the same opportunity through the Holy Spirit that you and I have this very day, right here, right now, this morning to see and hear him and, and, and respond to him and trade our worldview for his worldview. And that he says is a tremendous blessing. Here's why, because this is our bottom line. We looked at it before changing, whoops, Changing your worldview changes your world. Changing your worldview changes your world. And if you're here knowing the world and your world could be better or different, then this is for you. This is for you. To look at something you've looked at your whole life and have the Holy Spirit reveal to you what has been hiding in plain sight and you will never unsee that again. And it will become your new filter through which you see and respond to everything with the mind and the heart and the eyes of God that's offered to you 
That's offered to me. That's incredible. We're going to look at some of the most common worldviews out there. We're going to kind of unpack them quickly. And then we're going to look at what a Jesus-centered worldview looks like. And then we've got some choices to make, okay? So we're going to start with this fact, okay? I'd like you to say the, the, just a few words in quotes with me, okay? All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. If you get that, that was worth the price of admission right there, okay? All truth is God's truth, regardless of what area it comes from. It all comes from God and points back to God. And that is true of science and medicine. We're going to talk about that. Education and and learning and growing. Literature, art and music. If you're a creative person, you are channeling the creator God of the universe. It's worship. It's beautiful. Math and engineering, which said bye-bye to me a long time ago, right? But if you're in these fields, if you're studying in these fields, or you're working in these fields, the only reason your work works is because God wove in his creation of everything in the, in the principles of science and math and engineering. And your work can be worship and relational and, and every, other, every other way. All truth is God's truth. It all comes from God and points back to God. Now, the worldviews that we're going to unpack and look at that are very common, most of them have an element of truth in them. Most, they, you can't reject them outright. Some of them have, have nuggets of truth. But here's the problem that many people who hold these worldviews will take this subject that comes from God and is intended to point us back and guide us back to him and follow it as an end unto itself. And so rather than moving closer and closer to God, they move further and further from him. Do you understand? Do you understand how any of these disciplines, if you follow them as they were created, will point you back? To him, But if you make them an end unto themselves, they will move you farther and farther away. And that's what we're looking at. Now, let's look at the first one. This one that we're going to look at first is very common. And, and many of you go to Western. I've worked there for 20 years, believe in the place, love the place. But it's very common in higher education. So watch for this one. It's called naturalism or atheism. And the, and the motto there is everything in life is the result of random chance. We're all accidents of nature. Now, frankly, as a person, I, I think that requires way too much faith. That requires way too much faith. Now, we look at this, we look at this, and, and, and we look at the words of Rick Warren. He put it this way. The implications for this is, if there is no God, there is no plan or purpose for life. If there is no purpose, then your life doesn't really matter at all. Your life does matter though. Your value comes from the fact that God loves you, created you, and thought you up. For naturalists, life has no value, meaning, or purpose. Now, this is counter to the tenets of good science. Good science looks at the evidence and interprets that evidence, right? So, Good science would look at complexity and interwovenness and interdependence and diversity and, and all the things that, that are, are woven together perfectly and determine design. Unless 
it had already presupposed the impossibility of a designer. And then you get a lot of convoluted science that tries to skirt the reality of a creator. And, and there's, the, there's the watch, the watchmaker analogy that if you're walking through the woods and you find a watch and you take the back off and you see all the gears and you see all the springs and it's working perfectly, do you assume that that is the result of chance? Of course you don't. You know somebody planned that. It's too intricate. As true as that is, far more. Far more for the world. But that is not the case for some scientists. In fact, one of the most brilliant minds in our world, Stephen Hawking, puts it this way. Take a look. One can't prove, he says, that God doesn't exist, but science makes God unnecessary. The laws of physics can explain the universe without the need for a creator. And it sounds on its surface like a great argument, but it falls apart. Here's how it does. Ken Ham, a creation scientist, puts it this way. Non-Christian scientists are really borrowing from the Christian worldview to carry out their observational science. Think about it. When they're doing observational science, using the scientific method, they have to assume the laws of logic. They have to assume the laws of nature. They have to assume the uniformity of nature. If the universe came about by natural processes, randomly, where did the laws of logic come from? Did they just pop into existence? Are we in a stage now where we only have half logic or do we account for the laws of logic and the laws of nature from a naturalistic worldview? He says the laws of physics make it unnecessary to have God. Randomness does not create order if it creates anything. Much less complexity. Mind-blowing complexity. But don't take my word for it. How about one of the top scientist the world has ever known. He says this, whoops. The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Science brings men nearer to God. Little science takes you away from God, but more of it takes you to him. Luis Pasteur, founder of microbiology, immunology, pasteurization. Brilliant. If you want somebody, you're saying, well, we're, we're going to do chronological snobbery. If he knew what we knew now, um, he believed differently. Maybe not. Look, uh, Google Francis Collins. Francis Collins is a contemporary. Francis Collins is one of our country's top scientists. In fact, he's the head of the National Institutes of Science, the director. He's one of the leads of the Human Genome Project. And he's a Jesus follower. And he would tell you, This is true. The more you get into science with an open mind, the more that you have to say it's just too remarkable to be random. So, naturalism, atheism, is related to humanism. Humanism says you want to be spiritual in your atheism? Okay, we'll give you that. You are your own God. And that's better. Humanism is, is, is better in the fact that it's, it's pointing to the need for a God. But this is, this is so common. This is so common. And it, it, it is the seed of selfishness. It says that you are the captain of your own ship. You are the determiner of your destiny. It's all about you. 
and it's all on you. And this is what we see so often. Do you make your decisions? Do you see the world through a you-centered lens? That's humanism. It said the self-made man often worships his maker. You get that? Okay, the humanist asks what is normal or not uncommon. If you're a Christian, you ask, what is God's will? Because normal is broken. Normal is broken. Not what do I observe over and over and over again? That must be right. It's saying that the fall fractured us. What is the ideal? That leads us to universalism. Once a little closer, right? Universalism says all roads lead to God. And that's good in that it recognizes God, but it strips away any identity, any personality, any definition that God would have and allows the individual to determine whatever God is or isn't and says that how you conceive of God and how you relate to him or her or them or it, that's all up to you. And the world sees this as open-minded and accepting until you get under the surface. Because basically the universalist is saying to every world religion, the unique truth claims that you have, they're all wrong. That's not open-minded. That's saying you're all in one sense wrong, but we're letting you all in. Okay? Universalism. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't let you put him in this basket. Many gods, small g, will allow you to put them in this universal basket. Jesus says, ah, I'm not going on that trip. You got to deal with him separately. And what are you going to do with him? He's the most brilliant, loving teacher who claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis said, you can either shut him up as a lunatic. You can say he's a demon Or you can worship him as God, but you can't say he was just a great moral teacher. He didn't leave that open to us. This is good. It recognizes a God. And God says there is a road that leads to him, right? But the gospel, the scripture says that we, you and I, and all of our past parents, right? And family members. We never really wanted so much to walk that road. Nor if we did, would we be able to walk its steepness or its length? We just can't. So the gospel is this, rather than God requiring that we walk the road up to him, he, through his love, through Jesus Christ, walks the road down to reach us. That's the gospel. That leads to pragmatism. Whatever works, works for you. That sounds like a plan. It's effective in my life. It gets me where I want to go. It works. It's good. Except that the word of God said there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way to death. Seeming right, working for our immediate ends is not the acid test. It's not the litmus test, rather. That goes on to something that's very common. Materialism, which is more stuff and more experiences equal more life. Now, we addressed this in a recent series we did called Generous Joy. If you weren't here for it, I suggest you go to our website, gunnisonbethany.com, and check it out. The podcast is free. It's called Generous Joy. Pete Briscoe put it brilliantly when he said, 
You will never find life in a lifestyle. You will never find life in a lifestyle. But many, many, many of us will try. And Jesus said this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. It just doesn't. That's materialism. The greatest things in life are not things. That leads to hedonism. Hedonism is if it feels good, it is good. If it feels good, do it. It's all about what you feel, what you crave, your feelings. Satisfy your feelings. The problem is, as we've said here before, feelings lie. Our feelings are broken. Our feelers are broken. Right? If you doubt this, consider that every regretted purchase of a truck, boat, hot tub, uh, every breakup of a relationship, every divorce, proves that feelings lie. Right? And if you and I, in our most honest moments, we would admit that following our feelings is what led us into some of the greatest heartbreaks and some of the greatest regrets in our lives. Hedonism, the desire to satisfy urges and feelings, are responsible for every addiction. I want to feel this. I want to experience this. I want to hide this. I want to dull this. I don't want this. I do want this. Whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's porn, whether it's you name it. I know this. I use food to celebrate. I use food as comfort. It's hedonism. It's seeking pleasure and we're not good at it. See, the problem is not that we're hedonists. It's that we're bad hedonists. Because if we followed hedonism to its desired end, we'd do what Jesus said. We'd realize, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. What's beyond full? Overflowing, right? You can't hold more than full. That you would have all the joy that you could possibly contain. It's not just that we have a lot of hedonists up in here. It's the fact that we're bad hedonists, right? If we followed our quest for joy... To its rightful end, we would know where it's found. Proverbs, uh, Psalms tells us, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, forevermore. That's hedonism. How about enlightened? I have enlightened in quotes because it presumes that you're more enlightened than God, right? It's, it, it sounds like this. And you and I have thought this, if not said it. I know what scripture says, but I just think that blank... I know that's the word of God, but I just feel that, right? Look, you are free to think that way. You are free to speak that way. You are free to live that way. And we will still love you and God will still love you. However, because I love you, I have to tell you that one day you will stand before the God who created you. The God who said this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And on that day, what you and I think will not hold water. But with a Jesus-centered worldview, you think the thoughts of God. You see with the eyes of God. You love with the heart of God. That is beautiful. And we're not accepted because we do that. We receive that because we're accepted. Do you see the difference? Now we're moving on. This is the fluid. This is the last one, the fluid worldview. Keep it loose. 
right? Go with the flow. Here's the problem. The flow isn't heading to where you want to go. If you could see where it ends up, you wouldn't want to go there. Going with the flow is going with popular culture. Depending on popular culture or the media to tell you what to think, to tell you what to feel, to tell you how to live. And it's always changing. It's always changing. And scripture after scripture after scripture is crystal clear on the fact that popular culture will oppose you in following Jesus Christ in truth. It will oppose you sometimes covertly, sometimes overtly, but always oppose you. Always. Popular culture, get this, watch. Popular culture will always encourage you to be more comfortable with the brokenness. A Jesus worldview. Jesus will always call you to respond to the brokenness with repentance for healing, restoration, and relationship. Forgiveness. Popular culture will always try to convince you You just have to become more comfortable with the broken. Call the broken whole. He's saying, no, call the broken, broken, and come to me so I can make it healed. Opposition. Does that mean we divorce ourselves from popular culture? Does that mean we don't engage? No. You just do it with a Jesus-centered worldview. And that will keep you from hating everybody who disagrees with you. Why? Because we're all suffering with different symptoms of the same disease, with the same healer. Every tribe, every tongue, every person needs a savior and we have one. Now, parents, I don't want to tell my kid what to believe. You indoctrinate, you teach, you model a Jesus-centered, scriptural, gospel-focused worldview for your children or someone else will give them theirs and you won't like it. You won't like it. One of the greatest things that, that you can do when you send your kid away, whether that's for school or work or just you're 35, get out of my basement, right? Right? In enough video games is sending them out with a Jesus-centered worldview. You can go anywhere, work almost anything, and follow him, if you have that. And a Jesus-centered worldview, basically, and we're going to go into detail, and then we'll choose, says, this world is not all there is. We get accused of being closed-minded. What's more closed than saying, everything you can see is all there is. That's, that's it. Don't tell me. No. This world is not all there is. And the things that we can't see and touch are far more valuable and priceless and and beautiful than those that we can. They just point us to those. And that this life is preparation for the next, which is eternal. And God wants you to, to participate in that and enjoy that and enjoy him forever. Now, we're gonna look at the fact that there's an option. There's a Christian worldview. And the fall has not only fractured the world, it's fractured the way that we see it. Because the Jesus-centered, the biblical, the scriptural, the the gospel-centered worldview is so attractive, so beautiful. 
so thrilling. It is a God who, who loved so much that, that, that he created and he created things that would point to him and, and show off his brilliance and his beauty and his love and as his masterpiece. He creates people of every shape and size and color. And he creates men and women to reflect his glory. And he creates us as free-willed beings, not automatons, because he invites us to have a, a, a never-ending, ever-increasing love relationship with him. But being free, we can either choose that or we choose not that. Right? What is love if you're forced to give it? So we're free. And our first parents chose to reject that relationship through sin. And all of us have followed suit. It's in our DNA. We're broken. We invited in all the things that we wish weren't so. But God did not stop loving us. God kept loving. God kept pursuing. God kept calling and drawing. And we continue to refuse. He continues to offer. He continues to pursue. And we continue to refuse. But God's love was greater still. He did not just write the way back home into the story. He wrote himself into our story. He entered our story as Jesus Christ, God with skin on, to show us the way home. And Jesus became fully God, fully man. He was always God, became fully God, fully man, and joined us in the pits that we had dug for ourselves, that separated us from him, that separated us from each other, that separated us from the selves that he created us to be and enjoy, that separated us from forgiveness and restoration and joy and life and peace. And he comes into that pit and he does not rescue us by condemning us for our past, for our sins, for, for thirsting for the poison that would destroy us. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He takes our shame. He takes our sin onto himself. He doesn't just drink the poison. He becomes it. And he executes it in his flesh on the cross for our sins as our substitute. He destroys that which would destroy us by allowing himself to be destroyed in our place. So great is the love of of God. And then what we will celebrate in several weeks, right? Easter on the third day, he rose again, vindicating, proving everything that he has said, everything that he had claimed, everything that he had promised, victorious over Satan, sin, death, hell, the grave, and invites you and me right here to enter into that victory, to live in that victory in his kingdom. And death is just entering into more love. Entering into more presence. Entering into... That's the gospel story. And Jesus will return again to reclaim and restore his creation for his glory and the joy of all those who have received him. And he calls and says, come. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Everything else. That is what is promised to you and to me.
if only we'll come to him to exchange our worldview. To exchange our worldview. So what do you see? What do you see? Do you see God is nowhere? Or do you see God is now here? Because the way that you and I see things changes everything. Because this is true. Changing your worldview changes your world. And if you're anything like me, there are pieces and parts of those worldviews that you've selected and you can recognize in your own mind and heart. And this is an opportunity for us to come to God and say, I need your worldview of you, of me, of others, of time, of eternity, of love and hate and war and justice and compassion, everything. You're saying, I'm already a Christian, so, well, that's great. And, and I'm very glad, believe me, I am. But there was a recent study done by the Barna Group, very scientific study, that showed only 4% of professed Christians have a Jesus-centered Christian worldview. So if you are part of that 96% that don't, this would be your time to come to him to get a Christian worldview. And if you've never, ever crossed the line and said, yes, I know you've chosen me. I know because you revealed yourself. Not, not so I could see an eyeball or, or a thing, but, but I'm looking at life and you're talking to me. Not, I mean, just as Thomas talking, but thankfully I'm not the only one talking here. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts, saying, I'm, I chose you. I chose you for myself. Then Then come come. And if you're on the fence, just make this deal, make this prayer in your mind. Just say, Jesus, if you will reveal yourself to me, I'll repent of my sins. I'll receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'll follow you. Go. You pray that, you watch what happens. You watch what happens. Some of you already know he's calling you. Some of you already know that he's calling you deeper. Some of you calling, no, he's calling you to trade your eyes and your mind and your ears so that you can have a Christian worldview so that finally faith and truth and love can make sense. And then and only then, my friends, will you and I find life the way it was meant to be. And the song says, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we we come to you from so many different directions. Lord, so many of us have, have allowed people and things and work and culture and popular beliefs and, and lies to form our mindset, our worldview, Lord. And right now there's clarity. Right now you've spoken to us. You've said, I want you to be free of that so that you can enter into these disciplines with light and hope and truth as I created them to be so that you can enter in as my child so that you can live the life of connectedness to me and to each other and to truth and love and forgiveness. And Lord, so we come humbly We believe, Lord, that you have paid the price that we owed, that we could not pay. Lord, we believe that you rose to invite us into this new life.
And Lord, we want to come. We want to come and say, here's my life, Lord. Here's my um, worldview, Lord. Forgive me. Change me. Enter in. Give me your heart. Give me your mind. Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. And as you do, I'll not be able to unsee that again. And I'll spend my life helping those I love see that which was hiding in plain sight so that they can be made free. In Jesus' name.